Hi folks and welcome to episode 4 of Fandoms, Culture, and Perhaps a Few Murders. Today's topic of discussion will be Unsolved Mysteries. Take it away, Al. In December 2016, a CIA officer checked into the American Embassy Health Office in Havana, Cuba, suffering from nausea, headaches, and dizziness. Days later, two more CIA officers reported similar ailments. By late 2018, the number grew to 26 Americans and 13 Canadians experiencing nausea, hearing loss, vertigo, nosebleeds, and focusing issues. In all of the cases, victims claimed that the symptoms were triggered by a strange noise they heard at their homes or the hotel room. One person said the noise was a high-pitched noise. Another described it as a beam of sound pointed into their rooms. Some insisted that the noises were closely resembled marbles rolling along the floor. The illness confounded medical experts and doctors at the University of Pennsylvania who examined some of the victims diagnosed concussion-like symptoms but found no signs of any type of blow to the head or any type of concussion-like. The Cubans vehemently denied that they're responsible and many American investigators believe them because they still don't know who or what made the victim sick. The CIA claims it doesn't know any it doesn't know of any weaponry that could cause these symptoms. One theory holds that a pair of covert ear dropping devices placed too closely to each other by Cuban agents may have inadvertently produced such a reaction. Like the kind of feedback you'd hear when someone stands too close to a microphone. But the FBI found no evidence to substantiate that argument. Not to mention that ultrasound is above the range of human hearing. Recording sounds from some of the victims only added to the confusion. Two scientists who studied the recordings believe they captured the sound of lovelorn male crickets. One of the scientists, Alexander Stubbs at the University of California, Berkeley, says the insects are incredibly loud. You can hear them from inside a diesel truck going 40 miles an hour on the highway. Still, the scientists had no idea why the sound might lead to illness in humans. A former embassy office um, official told ProRepublica.org, Cuba is a high-threat, high-stress post. Diplomats are warned that there will be surveillance. There will be listening devices in your house, probably in your car. For some people, that puts them in a high-stress mentality and in a threat anticipation mode. Although this doesn't explain how in May 2018, an American post in the consulate in Guangzhou, China, was diagnosed with the very same mysterious illness. Ultimately, 15 Americans were evacuated. While the seemingly airborne cause of these brain injuries is still a mystery, the fallout is clear. The Americans removed 60% of their diplomats from Cuba and expelled 15 Cuban diplomats from Washington, D.C., with occurrences as close as 2018. This may have been seen as a new weapon of espionage. I think I've heard this story before. You think so? Yeah. At least some aspects of it where there was some sort of unexplained sickness that was going on within a medical facility. I'm not sure if it was a hospital or a clinic, but something that even affected some of the doctors who were seeing these patients and they couldn't tell if it was biological or if it was chemical or something like that. I feel like I remember what you're talking about, and I think they ultimately classified it as some sort of like a group hallucination thing. Yeah, I remember that being like one of the go-to explanations for a lot of these types of clandestine yeah, experiments. Yeah, like the mass hysteria type thing. Yeah. Like the one that Polo, was it that whole village of people were dancing for days on end to the point where some people died? Oh, the dancing thing? Yeah. I was saying that it's really funny how you can have like, if you believe something hard enough that you can physically manifest these symptoms, but it still seems weird that all of these people are doing it, especially when one was stationed in China and had nothing to do with the rest of them. That's what I was going to say, but like it's happening to just embassy people. It happens to the 13 Canadians, but mainly Americans, but like imagine if like, (laughs) I was thinking about this when I read the stories, like imagine if it was like, a pompous ray, like they, it was like people who just like were acting like they were above the statue. Because you know how some Americans like, act when they're overseas. A communist Karen ray before everything. <laughs> thing. But like imagine if you had someone who just acted privileged and asshole, and you just like had a gun that did that shit. All of a sudden they get nauseous and they have to like run to the bathroom because they're about to shit themselves. I would love that. An American like, attitude adjustment. Right. It does seem pretty targeted if it's only been aiming for diplomats and other dignitaries right. of that level, you know? Wait, right. it's been happening at consulates, at embassies, so like these are it's not like they're happening at army bases, you know? Or even on the street. 
for that matter. Right. It's very specific to and make it be something else. And this was happening in 2018. So, I mean... Well, I did tell you the uh, uh, the last episode, uh, uh, there was recent attacks on particular individuals using, you know, what sounds like spy-type gadgets on, you know, detractors and such, like the, the um, umbrella dart or ball with the, that was laced with ricin. Yes. I would almost say that possibly since these aren't like severe injuries or anything, maybe they're an excuse to get the people out of there if it's high stress situations. And you know, withdrawing without having a reason could look sketchy. At least them being sick is a reason. If they're moving people out for like a job, then maybe like I could see, you know what I'm saying? Using that as a friend for something? Or they know something's going to be going down there soon, so they're, they're pulling important people out by saying that they're sick like that. What was that movie that talked about getting people out of the country by pretending to be movie directors? Argo. There you go. Something like that. Yeah, there you go, right there. And I wouldn't put it past, I mean, like, there's a little bit of truth in, in you know, shit. I mean, a lot of uh, movies and TV shows are usually based on actual reports or stories or rumors and books, right? Right. A cluster of unsolved murders and uh, disappearances that happened in the Lewis-Clarkston metro area, formerly, I believe, in reports, the Lewis-Clark Valley murders. Investigators had ID'd four victims and possibly a fifth that were connected to a single unnamed suspect. 12-year-old Christina Lee White disappeared April 28, 1979 after attending a parade with a friend. She had called her mom and told her that she was sick and her mom told her then to come home on her bike but she never showed up and hasn't been seen since. Her bike also was never found. A 22-year-old Kristen David was a University of Idaho student who disappeared on June 26, 1981 while biking from Moscow, Idaho to Lewiston. Her dismembered remains were recovered that July 4th from the Snake River. 21-year-old Christina Diane Nelson and her stepsister, 18-year-old Jacqueline Ann Miller, disappeared on September 12th, 1982. And they were walking from Nelson's apartment to the grocery store. Uh, yeah, in downtown Lewiston. Their remains were found March 19th, 1984, about 35 miles away from downtown. They were found in a rural area, and the investigators were unable to determine Nelson's cause of death, but were able to determine that Miller was at least murdered. Stephen R. Pearsall, 35-year-old employee of Lewiston Civic Theater, went missing after going there to use the laundry facilities. Um, he and Nelson, which was the previous victim, had worked together, were neighbors, and attended the same college. He has never been found to this day. Damn. Authorities initially suspected that he may have been involved in the girls' abductions and murders, but stated later that all three probably were in or near the theater when they had all vanished. But in uh, 1984, police said that a serial killer, uh, I'm, it's spelled with two T's, so I don't know if it's pronounced Otis or Otis Tool, implicated himself in Davis's murder. However, even though he was the police's strongest suspect at the time, there were two other men who came to claim the exact same thing with the same victim. And then as recently as 2009, a retired police detective in that area had interviewed him and formally ruled him out as a suspect. Now, Otis Toole's inclusion in it is a bit odd and interesting given the fact that he was a drifter and a at least convicted serial killer of at least six victims, though he claimed that he had hundreds more. And he's had instances where he has admitted to murders that he himself later recanted, and this was after the police had secured murder convictions, so much so that it was thought that the police were basically pinning everything on him just so they wouldn't have any open cold cases. Huh, heard about that. I've certainly read about that. So, so in the other interesting tidbit about O'Toole is that one of the, his claims, though I'm not sure if he was actually convicted of it, was a rather infamous one. You remember America's Most Wanted, the TV series, right? Oh, yeah. And you remember how the host was John Walsh? Oh, yeah. And he got into that type of work leading to being host of that show because of his son's his, brutal murder. Oh, it was his son. That's right. That's right. Yeah, Adam. I know. Yeah, I knew it was one of his kids. Yeah. And, uh, Otis apparently had admitted to killing his son. So that's really? that's his tie to that. Now, I didn't see whether or not he was actually convicted of it or whether or not that was one of his genuine victims because, again, he's got a lot of confessions that were later recanted, so it's kind of hard to believe. Although some other serial killer who was a prolific one had stated that he had been involved and believed that he had the boy's severed head in his possession. <gasps> oh, that's horrible. 
After that, though, there was subsequent coverage of the, the case through TV and in other reports that said that they had an eye on a particular person, but nothing really came of it. So it still remains unknown who the murderer slash abductor was. And it's believed that the three individuals who were last taken, the two girls and the guy, might have been abducted roughly at the same time and may have been known or known to them they were abductor slash killer. Like it was like they willingly got into the person's car or whatever type shit. It's almost like, you know, they must have trusted him or something. Cause I would imagine it's kind of hard to try to, to, you know, take to a college-aged, you know, female and her stepsister who was 18 you know, it's like you would think that there's a lot of fight or pushback that would happen with this person. So it'd have to be somebody that they were kind of able to be disarmed by, to be caught by surprise, perhaps. Was there supposed to be any signs of any kind of assault? No. So just murder? Just murders. There's nothing else that they described in the case files that said that there was like sexual assault or any other type. They didn't even mention how they were murdered. They just like, besides the, the first victim, uh, well, not the first victim, the first murder victim, I should say, that was found dismembered. There is no other way to describe how or what their causes of death were. Because it was just body pieces. And it was found, like, granted, later on from when they disappeared. Like, the girls were found um, in July. And remember, this is Idaho, so arid, dry, hot. So chances were that, you know, one of them, like the one that they couldn't determine the cause of death for Nelson, she probably may have decomposed rapidly for them to not be able to tell. Sure. I just have never understood the concept. Besides trying to look like you're good at your job, how does lying and pinning murders on someone who didn't commit them help your actual society, your area because that would imply that there's still a killer out there, right? Yeah. So you're not safe. If they stop, they're yes. banking on the whole that they, they don't guarantee nobody's gonna find out. That's what they're banking. Well, on. that's a, well, that's yeah. the thing. The thing is, is, that's fine and all, right? You could do that to put the public's minds at ease, but still carry on an investigation in secret. That means you're still doing your job. You know what I mean? But if you stop and you don't do anything and you just pin it on this dude just to close your cases and then you do nothing, that right there is a huge disservice to the public. Right, because there's still a killer out there. Yeah. People could still die. Just because you pretend you got the right guy doesn't mean the actual killer can't continue to harm people. I'm pretty sure that there are more police officers than there are detectives and that's where the problem is. That there's too many for these detectives to handle so if one gets written off by somebody who wants to claim it, then hey, here you go, motherfucker, sign the dotted line, claim this one so I can push on to the next another 50 bodies that I need to look up and try to help find along with uh, however many back cases and past logs I have to cover. That happens. We can't deny that that doesn't happen. And if, if that, that has a high crime area or even just like a high police presence, that doesn't mean that it makes it less of a job for the detectives back there because they have to sit there and then look into the shit that the police, the regular police, the beat cops arrest people for. But like, that's my point. Like, yes, you have a lot and maybe it's a lot to deal with, but that doesn't stop people from getting hurt just because you're done. Oh yeah, no, I absolutely agree, 100%. Now in 1995, Lewiston police announced that Nelson Miller and Pearsall may have been murdered together inside the theater uh, by another theater employee. The unnamed suspect who was present at the theater at the night of the trio's disappearance had also lived in the home from which Christina White disappeared back in 1979. In 1998, authorities from Spokane, Washington, who were investigating the killings would, that would later be attributed to Robert Lee Yates, interviewed this same suspect also. In 1998, they stated their belief that Kristen David's murder was linked with the other Lewiston area murders and disappearances, and that the 2009 news report had stated that David had worked for a time at the Lewiston Civic Center and may have known the same theater employees suspected in the Nelson Miller Pearsall case. There was a uh, an Aceton County police detective who appeared on the investigation discovery program uh, of the case called Cold Valley. He reaffirmed the links that the police had made earlier between the White and Pearsall disappearances and the murders of Nelson and Miller, stating that they were likely the work of the same person. And it also linked the unnamed suspect with possibly three other deaths in and outside that region, including one unsolved Chicago murder from 1963. This is a person that might have worked at the, at the theater, right? Yes. And the, and the person lived in the home that the person, one of the bodies was found in? One of the earlier victims in 1979, yeah. Yeah, get the fuck on. 
But how would you know that the person lived there if you didn't have like a name or at least some sort of ID or something that you knew of? You know what I mean? And you don't. Just thinking that. It's kind of hard to pinpoint that this person. Okay, you can have a list of people who work in a theater, but you don't necessarily have a list of people who are staying with people. You know what I mean? So it's like, how would you know that this person, or you would go so far as to assume that this person has stayed in the house of one of the victims, if you don't have an idea of this person's identity, let alone you haven't shared it publicly? Right. Maybe the person gave a fake name. It was like a like a friend of the family's that just like hopped around from state to state finding work. Which would be fine and all, but at least that's a name, and there wasn't yeah, not even a name given. Name. Well, we know him as you know Uncle Tommy. He lives in the basement for a couple of weeks out of the year. When he comes around. But that's the thing, though. You know? but, but, like, that's not Tommy now. Yeah, but the thing is, is that even if he gave a fake name, the police didn't even give that. You know what I mean? You'd want to give an identity because how many times have we seen crime programs tell you, oh, the name of this person is this, but their aliases are this and that. You know what I mean? Yeah, but they have to have his original name. They can't just be like, this is the person. They have to have a picture of the person. They might not have a picture. Well, that's they the thing. Like I know people who don't, like, who don't have pictures taken of them at all. They can do sketches. Oh, they yeah. could do witness yeah. descriptions you know and the thing about that is and the thing about it is is that even for not knowing what name what the real name is they do at least say in some programs we've watched saying that number one suspect is someone who goes by the name of this but you know at least it's a name you know what i mean yeah i get it but and we always like i mean like i don't want to say we always hear stories but there's always, there, there's an obscure story um, somebody who sits there and always stays over at Nana's house every once in a while. They help clean up the yard or whatever because back then they used to do shit like that. They're like, yeah, he comes drifting around. She lets him clean up the yard. He stays in a tent in the backyard for a week and he cleans up the yard and goes. All of a sudden they never see that person again because no one goes to check up on Nana after he's been through a couple of times and he decides to snap and take out Nana. Now no one who knows who he is. <laughs> Nana's gone. And he, he, he's been living there for a little bit before he, he just dips out. There was this ranch. Literally had a ranch hand who helped with the labor around there. They were looking for somebody to help. And this person did. And this person stayed with them from time to time, earned their keep in terms of whether it be money or being fed and being, you know, housed, so to speak. He came, okay. he came and went. They were found murdered. Can't remember how many victims. I'd have to look, up, look it up specifically. But murders were found. Bodies were, you know, cut acts in any particular way that you can imagine and then this person was never seen again but yet he was known by whatever name it was that he told to the adults who then mentioned his name in town yes you yeah. making shit up it happens See, yeah 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 but i mean the thing about it is but that's my point though is that he still gave a name you know what I mean? It's still a name that somebody was able to give, even if it wasn't his real name. And he was able to live amongst them before he did what he did and then took off. I, I keep where you're coming from, right there. Yeah. The thing is, too, with at least mentioning the name that he gave, how many of these killers are actually smart enough to continuously have consistent different aliases? Like, they're not James Bond. They're not having well-detailed backgrounds for each place. They're probably going to rely on the same name. Multiple passports and shit. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it could be one of those things where, you know, uh, again, and I'm a reference, uh, Shang-Chi, where she was like, wait a minute, your name was Shang and you changed it to Sean. <laughs> you know, it's like you're using the same type of name, but you just tweaked it a little bit. Yeah, like they probably would use either, if they're going to change it, the same first name or same last name and then just swap out the second one. Yeah, I was just thinking that. It just rotate their first names and then swap out the last name. Maybe swap out a middle name for something else. Yeah. But like, it'd be dumb to sit there and use any name close to what your name is. People aren't creative. But people, yeah, no, and it's, it's like such a dumb move but here's the thing though we we are talking about a different time though because how many times in those black and white photographed era past did something as simple as that that nowadays would be caught and pieced together slipped right through the fingers of those authorities you know what i mean through lack of proper police work trampling of evidence that you know that was at the crime scene it, lots of people slipped through people's fingers back then. I mean, honestly, anytime we hear any of these cases that happened in the past, the amount of like headache and frustration I get with the police 
not doing their jobs? Like, how many times like have we heard? They say, yes, like when they say, oh, like, no, they, when everybody showed up and was looking everywhere, they couldn't, you know, they stomped all over shit on the floor and they couldn't get a blueprint and they stomped on cigarettes and other, all this other shit. Like, there was a story where, um, like, a woman's body was found in a drum in the water and they pulled it out. And because the police moved shit around, if they claimed that she was never in a barrel. Yeah, that's the thing too. They literally throw away evidence or they clean up blood that's important to like, you know. Right, and then they claim that it was like suicide or something like that. Like you don't kill yourself and throw yourself in a barrel in the, the, in the, in the lake by your house. It's not a thing. That goes back to them trying to close the case any which way they can without them looking inept. But it <laughs> looks stupid. <laughs> Apparently, either the public aren't weren't aware or perceptive enough to see such stupidity, or they really did. The police, that is, believed that what they said worked. There I mean, sorry, go ahead. How many people sitting here, you know, us three, let alone any potential listeners, believed that bullshit of? Oh yeah, Roswell was a weather balloon. <laughs> I don't know. It's like it's the idea, I guess, that if you just keep saying this was it. Eventually, people have to believe it, right? I've always said that Americans have short memories when it comes to politics and certain details. It's like they hear it, they bitch about it, they'll say whatever they want about it at that point in time where it's the zeitgeist of the conversation. But then after some new thing happens, oh, they forgot all about the previous shit that happened just uh, as simple as, or recent rather, as last week or last month or last year. Yes. Oh my God, I had no idea Obama actually said that they had video he'd been shown that shows unexplained flying objects in space. Things that happen that they don't have an explanation for. And the scientist has not been able to explain anything of what he was shown in those videos. Or whatever, the, what he'd been shown. You know what I'm saying? And that's like, it's insane. And people, like I had no idea that, that was. And I'm, I'm like, I love shit like this. I love it. The fact that there's out there in the universe, we're not alone. And like this, this whole like thing online about whether or not we've hit like a line of like evolution where we're gonna hit a wall or something crazy, either hitting us or we've moved past an apocalyptic event where we're now in a space where we might be able to reach out further, be one of the first ones to do it, or first civilizations in a livable area to do. It. Like it's ah, oh, like ah, oh, I love it, I love it, I love it. But like the fact that I didn't know about this, and it's like it's crazy to me. And the fact that nobody else is like hello. This is a living <laughs> president telling you he was shown shit. Why is this not bigger? Well, here's the thing. It seems as though today's audience would be so quick to just say, oh, because Obama mentioned it, he's you know brave enough or he's the first to say it, when he isn't. There were plenty of presidents who have sat there and told you about their encounters and being able to have been privy to information about things they couldn't identify. Clinton, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, Gerald Ford, Woodrow Wilson, all of them mentioned at some point in their papers, even Eisenhower, they mentioned this shit in documents that were dated back into the 1940s. I mean, Obama's just the most recent in a long line of chief executives to do so. But yet today's audience would only believe that, oh, Obama was brave enough to come out and say, yeah, there's an acknowledgement of it when there were others who've done it way before that. But that's people's field view nowadays is that their knowledge of history is only what they've heard, what they see, or what they care to pay attention to. The people of these days, there are people out there, there there's an entire like generation, an entire race that like, you know, they sit there and blame Obama for everything. So like, <laughs> they blame Obama for their pet having mange. The whole they're thanks Obama me, like, meme. Motherfucker. Yeah, like they're, they're going to blame this motherfucker for everything. So like, they're not going to believe anything that comes out of his mouth anyway. Uh, weren't they going to storm Area 51? These would be the same people. They'd be like, no, nah, fuck Obama. He didn't see no shit. He lying. <laughs> See, the funny thing about that is, too, is that wasn't it Donald Trump who tried to create a quote-unquote space force? Right. The Star Trek logo? Yeah. So I feel like if that's your champion, so to speak, him being interested in creating such a force must mean that there's something notable or worth interest in going out there and potentially dangerous enough to require some sort of military force in space. And he's not even the first Republican president to have done it. He follows the footsteps of Ronald Reagan, who created an actual um, 
operation that was known by only a select few at the time where it was literally their star wars project and <laughs> now and i believe that's what they called it too uh it's because it was based specifically on the cover it was worried about surface-to-air missiles that could reach us, say, if Korea wanted to act uppity. They could press a button that could have a missile reach our eastern seaboard. So he was trying to protect against that, but not just that. The other redacted documents that he had that I had remembered reading, he had worried about threats from outside our atmosphere, which is where that was also wrapped up in. See, something like that would be useful not specifically with like, you know, earthly politics, but we just recently had NASA tell us that we had a concerning meteor pass by us. Not extremely close, but closer than usual. And I would like to think that someone out there is working on something that could potentially, you know, try to break up these meteors so that way we don't have another ice age dinosaur killing event yeah not a major extinction event i'd rather not so i feel like that's something we should be working on if it doesn't exist which is better i've been trying to work on some sort of like armageddon type you know yeah they always have doomsday projects that they're working on protocols things that they could work out i'm gonna bump off a felines uh thing later for the closing story that i have to share has to do with a celestial body that is going to be passing by us soon Mm-hmm. All right, now mine is like a legitimate locked room mystery. And this one's really interesting. On January 2nd, 1935, a man calling himself Roland T. Owen, who appeared to be roughly 20 to 30 years old, checked into room 1046 at the Hotel President in Kansas. He was noted by hotel staff to have no luggage and only having a comb, toothbrush, and toothpaste. A maid, Mary Soptic, checked into his room later at that day and noted that the room was dimly lit and he was sitting in it on his bed, fully clothed in the dark. He told her he could come in and clean and asked her to leave the door unlocked as he was expecting company. He supposedly looked worried or nervous. He was overheard later on by the same maid on the phone saying, No, I am not hungry. I do not want to eat. I just had breakfast. I'm not hungry. She also noted that there had been a notepad in his room that said, Dawn, I'll be back in 15 minutes. Wait. On January 3rd, the maid came back, knocked on the door with fresh towels. She heard two male voices. An unknown male asked her what she wanted. She mentioned that she had towels for the room, and he said, We don't need any. But she thought that was weird because she knew that they didn't have any towels at the room at the time. On January 4th, a hotel operator noticed that the phone for room 1046 was off the hook and asked a bellboy to check. A do not disturb sign was on the door. The bellboy knocked anyway and a voice said come in. But the door was locked and no one came to unlock it. So he had told them to put the phone back on the hook and walked away. An hour later, at 8.30, the phone was still off the hook. A different bellboy was sent and entered using a key. The room was dark, and Owen was lying on the bed naked, with dark stains underneath him. So the second bellboy put the phone on the hook and left. Around 10.30, the phone was off the hook again. The first bellboy was sent back and found Owen kneeling on his knees and elbows, holding his head in his hands. He noted that there was blood on his head, and when he turned on the lights, he saw blood on the bed, walls, ceiling, and in the bathroom. Owen was still alive and the bellboy went to go get help. When investigators arrived, they asked him what happened, and he had stated that nobody attacked him, and he simply fell against the bathtub. He later died on January 5th in a hospital. When examining his body, the doctors found that his neck, wrists, and ankles had been tied. He had a fractured skull, multiple stab wounds on his chest, and a punctured lung along with bruises on his neck that suggested that he had been strangled. So that's certainly not a tub accident. I, I was going to say it was a kinky night until you said the stab wounds, and I was like, oh, damn, okay. no, no, no. <laughs> and, and if it's to be believed, a kinky night all by himself. Right, right. he said nobody right. was there. Not to mention to trip, hit your head on the tub, and then get stabbed. Right, a couple of times you said, right? Yeah, especially yeah. with your and, hands tied. And medical examiners would be able to tell the angle if you did it to yourself. Most of the time when people do shit like that, if they kill themselves, they they do it in a quick way. They don't want to suffer. And I don't know how he would have tied himself up after the fact. Apparently, he had sustained the injuries six to seven hours before he was found. This is around the time, they believe, where the phone had kept coming off the hook. (sighs) What if the person was in the room and the bullet boy went in there the first time? That's what we were thinking. 
Yeah. The room and was then locked. You repositioned him. Because he was lying on the bed in like blood. How do you not feel that kind of danger in the room with <laughs> you? Fuck out of here with that shit. There's no way. Bellboy number one going in with a light off number one is dumb. Dumb, 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 dumb. You don't go into somebody else's room in the dark, see somebody laying in the bed naked, and keep it dark. I mean, would you turn on the lights and look? I I may not want to see what's there, but I also want to see what isn't in the room. And I want to make sure that isn't another person. Listen, all he cared about was putting the phone on the hook, and he left. He said, I'm done. I did my job. He caught-footed the shit like he thought of vampires after his ass, like a little kid running out of the bathroom at night. First time that the bellboy had come to the door to kind of get his attention, he heard a voice from the other side of the door telling him to basically come in. Yeah, he was told to come in. It's not yeah. It's not clear whose voice it was, though. And the door was locked, and no one came to unlock it. So he ended up leaving because he couldn't enter the room. All he said was, just put the phone back on the hook. And then he walked away. The second bellboy was the one who used the key and saw him lying on the bed naked with dark stains around him. He put the phone on the hook and left. Yeah, him. He's the one that I'm talking about. Like, seeing dark stains, nakedness, and going into the room to do it, I turn on the light. Anyway, because there's no way I'm even going to open a door to a naked man and not have make sure I can see everything around me. After he died, they investigated the room, found no weapons that he could have used to injure himself with, thus ruling out suicide. But at the same time, while investigating, they found the fingerprints of a woman on the phone. Upon investigating further, looking for any Roland T. Owens in the area, they discovered that there were none in Kansas and realized that it was a fake name. Mm. A couple months after his death, the case went cold. A newspaper announced that he was going to be buried in a pauper's grave. The funeral home got a call after the fact saying that his funeral would be paid for. They received the money and a card that said, Love Forever, Louise. Mm. They have no idea who the man was nor the Louise. That's crazy. In 1936, a year later, a woman called Ruby Ogletree, her friend saw a picture of the man in a newspaper discussing the mysterious death. The woman showed her friend Ruby the picture and she identified him as her son, Artemis Ogletree. Artemis, what a name. Yeah. She stated that she had received letters from her son after he had died saying that he was traveling. They were typewritten letters, which the mother said was odd because he did not know how to type. And not only that, but the language used did not feel like it was her son's. They were just describing him traveling, keeping up the appearance that he was still alive. Earlier, I mentioned that the maid had noticed a note from a man called Don. Investigators believe that the male voice that she heard talking to Artemis had been from Don and possibly the same man who told the bellboy to come in while Artemis was like lying on the bed. They never identified who Don was. They never identified Louise, but there are theories that Louise, quote unquote Louise, could be the woman whose fingerprints were found on the phone. I was thinking that. Motivations for the murder are theorized to be an affair gone wrong or him possibly owing money to some organized crime group. The strange part is, Why did he lie about who had attacked him? Why did he not mention the people at all? He lied and said he was by himself. Why protect them? I'm telling you, Mafia. (laughs) I had had surmised uh, when we were discussing this about the possibility that he had a debt to pay and so he really couldn't run off. Maybe he had someone that he cared about that would have paid the consequences had he not, you know, sat there and took what was coming. Possibly his mother. They were sending letters to her. Yeah. So if they had her, like, address to send her letters... They would have had her information, you know? But that's still a lot to go through and not say anything at all. And Stranger still to pay for his his funeral. There was descriptions from the maid that almost seemed like he was waiting obediently because he was just sitting in the dark, fully clothed. He brought no luggage outside of a brush, toothbrush, and toothpaste. Yeah, he came with very few amenities, which means that he probably wasn't planning on leaving that room. Maybe it was a um, a hostel type situation. I feel like it, in that time frame for when this occurred, that would be probably the most extreme to think it was that type of situation because a woman was involved in the in the room. Her voice was heard, and apparently, you know, like you were alluding to earlier, maybe there was an extramarital affair that he had with somebody else's wife or mall. You know, right. 
this too and the idea that if there it was a hostile thing why would he not if he was willingly participating his mother didn't see any payment it was just his funeral that was paid for right but well you never know it could be like they they made sure that she was taken care of she never wanted for anything they might not have given her shit but they would have sent people to make sure that she was okay went grocery shopping for her when she passed made sure that there were people at her funeral to be nice to or you know make sure that her things were taken care of i mean because it seemed to be a very formal type of thing for the quote brutality of the murder yeah there was a lot of like formality like there's only so much resistance you do but there's only so much that you take before resistance is something like all right this is enough the the urge to live kicks in at some point regardless of whether or not you really try to give in not to mention it doesn't seem like there were any reports of screams heard at all like there were other people on the floor of the hotel with him and there's nothing but the reports of hearing voices period not any sort of specific kind of distress. I think there was uh, another occupant of a room down the hall who made mention of hearing raised voices between a man and a female, which I think at the time they believed was like a lover's quarrel, a little, little bit of a spat. But that still doesn't, like, how do you get stabbed and not make a sound, or at least not have... criminal, and they popped it full of morphine, and then was able to do whatever, you know, hostile arrangement. I don't believe that they found any evidence of him being drugged, like no drugs in his system when he died. Oh yeah, I didn't think of that. He could have been one of those things where his mouth was like forcefully covered while, you know, he was just getting jabbed up, you know what I mean? I mean... They could put a ball gag in there and then and put up uh, thick blankets on the doorways and just cover the tracks on the wheel. That's a lot of care. Or smother him with a pillow. Yeah, true enough. There was blood on the bed. It didn't describe like how the bed the state of the bed or anything just initially the dark stains that were underneath him that you could presume possibly happened after him getting stabbed and they just threw his body on the bed if they did hear the bellboy coming and they hid the only evidence of like restraints though are his neck wrists and ankles being tied covering his hand like his mouth with a hand isn't something like i don't think they could necessarily detect well, like, there might be biting or something like that. It'd be, depending on the time, I don't think, like, DNA was a thing back then, so they wouldn't be able to check. There'd be bruising on the body. There's bruises so, on his is- neck and probably around his, like, wrists and ankles from the ties. Yeah, there had to have been some sort of thing to have kept him muffled or something. Like well, a ball gag or... He did have a fractured skull, so it does imply that he had some sort of head trauma. I don't know if it would have been like to knock him out, but if you're being like stabbed and tortured, I feel like you're going to wake up. I agree. But shock would put you back out, so there's that. I don't know. Maybe his answer saying nobody had done this to him could have been out of his delirious state, possibly. He was losing blood and did have head injuries. Yeah, that could have happened too. But it seemed but like... In that state, even in that state, you're the, the still the will to live is still there unless you like really want to die. And he clearly and, went yeah. to that room with some sort of purpose. Right. Because he had nothing on him. Which is the reason why I think that there wouldn't be type of mode to kick in that you want to live because he knows that if he doesn't sit there and take it, whatever was going to come may have been worse for like a loved one. You know what I mean? Like, it could have been one of those things where, okay, if I sit here and I don't take this, then my mother is going to get it. And then it'd be a really loose-loose situation if he decided to fight back, he gets killed, and then his mother ends up getting killed right after that. You know what I mean? For his insubordination. Yeah, but you you can still scream to to keep the pain a little less, and you're not, not fight back. He was 17. Like, his actual age was 17, and I don't know, like... He was young, yeah. So I feel like, I don't know. Granted, when there's loved ones involved, of course, you could be a little bit more mature in dealing with it. But that's still a lot for like a 17-year-old to like just take. So it makes it seem a lot more plausible that he would have done what he was told because he was younger than his assailant was. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I feel like at 17, you have that. You got pipes. You're going to scream, I feel like. Well, that's why I was sitting there saying that, that the smothering part could have you know, or the hand pressed against his mouth would have come into play to keep him from making noise because already people were complaining about there being some raised voices and shit down the hallway from them. 
and let alone yeah but the, the hand part is ruled out she said the only bruising was around the neck not around the mouth if you want to keep someone's mouth shut, you would squeeze the mouth hard well you just clamp down so and put there pressure would be bruising around the face and where the cheek area is from the hand clasping over the face but here's the thing though you have to keep in mind that they could have clamped their hand down on the mouth to keep them quiet while they were stabbing them right but here's the thing he was also let go enough to be able to answer people talking to him through the door so he slowly bled out which means that instead of just straight dying while his hand while a hand was pressed on his mouth there would be no bruising that would have been present that would have kind of been frozen in place had he died on the spot so there was a chance that whatever pressure was on his mouth would have been at the very least just redness that would have easily gone away in the hours it took for the authorities to come and actually check on his well-being the following morning. We could kind of postulate that there are certain ways that you can keep someone quiet. You noted that he could have been drugged. Granted, they didn't say that that was in his system. Unless it was just from the struggle, them knocking the phone off, did they want his body to be found? I was thinking that too, especially when they unhooked it after your homeboy came up to the yeah. To hook it back again, so that's what I was thinking. They wanted him to be found. It's hard to overlook the fact that you left it unhooked again if you know twice they came to the room telling you to put it back on. So they were gonna notice it being off of the hook. But that's only at very specific times, though. Like I think the first time that they were attempting to try to call him, it was like a like a morning wake up call type of thing, which that would make them aware that the phone was off the hook, unless there's the, something the on their dial that says that was flashing. Yeah, the operator off. said the light indicated that the phone was off the hook, but not actually being used, mm-hmm. and it had been for a while, mm-hmm. which is why they sent them over there to ask them to put it back on the hook. Yet they only did yeah, that twice. Yeah, they had to sit there and keep lines clear. It's very limited with the phone line. The first time, because they could not get into the room, they just told them to put it back on, and when they noticed that it was still off the hook an hour later, and then they sent the boy, and he put the phone on the hook. The second boy entered the room, got into the room, and put the phone on the hook himself. So they didn't have to come back until around 10, which was another two hours later. They said the phone was off the hook again. So someone removed it, and possibly a female removed and it. because they said it too, apparently. Yeah, because they said there was female fingerprints on the phone, so maybe a female removed it took it off the hook after the fact. That just makes it sound like there was somebody still chilling in the room for both bellboys, you know what I mean? Yeah. It could have been that she she was supposed to meet him there. Someone else got there first. Well, supposedly there was raised voices of- Like Donatella or something like that. And the person who she was like with the lovers thing, he found out first, met, went there, found him, fucked him up, let her let her find him fucked up, trussed up like a pig, and stabbed. Then she left the phone off the hook. An hour later, two hours later, whatever, it's still not hung up. Just finally, someone comes and hangs it up. They're not found because the person wasn't done with him yet. They were hiding. They probably had her there too. Then after the bull boy left, they, he said whoever was there with her said, fuck it, we can't, get, we can't risk being caught again. She unhooks the phone again on their way out, leaving him to get, uh, leaving him to get finally found with the light on. See, the thing is that wouldn't you expect her to scream upon finding it? Because when the guy, when the no, bellboy, it's a mafia thing, and she wants to keep living. But I mean, if like just out of reaction, no. Unless she's really well trained, like because the bellboy that actually saw his body and the blood everywhere, he freaked out and left. <laughs> yeah, I would too. So unless whatever woman it was saw scenes like that frequently, which could be a thing if she was part of organized crime, mm-hmm. was married to somebody, I feel like you would have heard some sort of scream. But you remember that the person down the hall said they heard raised voices of a guy and a woman, and she sounded pretty normal from you know, outside of the yelling. And, you know, that sounded like there was arguments going on. And the thing was, somebody came to the door, uh, uh, I believe the bellboy won, and the, or the maid, rather, said that, you know, she was, that was there to do the clean towels. And she, somebody clearly said, we don't need any. The maid only heard two male voices, two different male voices. One presumably was Artemis. The other one is presumed to be this Dawn character. Which was probably the one who most likely answered saying, we don't yeah. need towels. She said an unidentified male responded saying we don't need towels, which she thought was odd because she knew there weren't any towels in the room at the time. Well, he did also say 
that he was expecting, you know, guests. And, and, I don't, and, and it could be just Don, or it could be Don and the woman, or he could just think that well, it was a woman. Look at just because it's Don, he's discounting it as it being a woman. It could be Don for Donatella. Well, Don and- we're going by if there's at least a woman's name that was mentioned, a note on a funeral card from a Louise that could be the woman. And there was a man who called to tell the funeral home that there'll be no need to bury him in a pauper's grave. It's going to be paid for. The money will arrive tomorrow. Yeah, the the person who called the funeral home and paid for the funeral presumably was a man. And it was, a man was heard in the room. And yeah, not just a woman, a man and a woman. And yeah, two different was male one. voices at least. Yeah, so there was, yeah. A, there was a man present in the room. So this Dawn is literally going to be Dawn. And this woman could be that presumed uh, Louise that was in the note. They could both be aliases, but there's still a male and female in this. They say the name Louise could be, but it could, also probably could be pronounced as Louis. So Louis well, could be the male and Dawn could be the female, and my theory could still uphold. Well, yeah. The, the point is is that there's a male and a female that were involved oh, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I had the male in my theory. He was the one who found out, and it was his bitch that uh, what's his face was meeting up with. Which I could subscribe to a woman later up later showing up in which then the other hotel guests had heard raised voices between a man and a woman one of the theories talking about an affair gone wrong posited that it was the woman's idea to attack him and she brought her brother but there's no real evidence to subscribe to that it's just an idea yeah another thing this was a random claim by a staff member one of the people at the hotel who said that they did see a woman looking for a room 1026 but she could have been confused and been actually looking for 1046 where Artemis was staying. Mm. They described this woman as being possibly the same height as a man that they had also saw walking around the floor somewhere who didn't seem to be staying there. Wait, the same height as a man? Yeah, and- So you think there might've been a dude in drag? This is a detail that I haven't seen really noted much, so I don't know how valid the information was, but as soon as I heard that, I was thinking, yeah, it could be a man or woman in drag at least because they found female fingerprints. So it could have been her disguised as a man. Oh yeah, the other way around is just so likely too. Yeah, and while that's really interesting, especially if like she was the one maybe trying to hide an affair or maybe she was the one who got Pissed off yeah, by him. Yeah, I'm telling you, my, my shit still flies with this, with this espionage Google gadget bitch. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a really interesting theory, but I haven't seen too many things diving into it very much. And the only thing, unless she was wearing, had some sort of recording device to make herself sound like a man, unless she just did a really deep voice, I feel like would nobody be able to tell, like, it was a male voice, but I'm not sure it was really a man. You know what I mean? Like, if yeah. I try to do a male voice, I don't think it's going to be very convincing. <clears throat> I don't think I can do a guy I can hit a couple tenor tones. I mean, I could get kind of, kind of low. I don't think it's convincing. Yeah, I don't think it would sound convincing. I don't to... think it's very convincing. Maybe, like androgynous anime character I could get <laughs> with this with this lower tone the androgynous anime character like the super buff female who never skips like day mm-hmm. in the full plate armor shoulders bigger than every other guy around me effeminate people like characters from Jojo that's his voice yeah dude just must tones everywhere every my, even my eyelashes are toned <laughs> fucking Jojo characters she got caught up they both got caught up Hubby found out and tortured him in front of her, and it was mafia connection, so she couldn't do a goddamn thing. She did pay for his funeral, though. She or he. Mm-hmm. There was a note from a woman. Probably had to sign from his name just to make sure that she knew as it was some shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but yeah, there's not. There hasn't been any evidence and solid enough to really find out who these people were, who these supposed extra characters were, and no woman attached to the fingerprints that they found. So literally, this case has just been a big question mark. No kidding. That's I love that story. And it's been unsolved for a very long time. I remember hearing this, and when we picked this topic, I knew this isn't what I wanted to do because it's <laughs> out there. That's great. I like that one a lot. Since my story's finished, now we can move on to one of our closing segments. Al, you have something? I do. I have, am I the asshole? So you guys, um, I'm just going to say them and you pick one. Neighbor, mother-in-law, or Thanksgiving? 
We'll go with mother-in-law. All right. I, 26 female, and my boyfriend, 25 male, have been together for about 1.5 years and do currently live together. Shortly after our anniversary, we found out we're expecting a baby boy to join us early February next year. I personally have never been a huge fan of children and used to have a hard time imagining it as a reality, but I did know that I would want one eventually of my own. So it took me a while to get excited or want to do anything with the baby shower or the gender reveal. I did finally decide on having one and my boyfriend and I agreed to have it done together, baby shower and gender reveal at the same time. Since both of our parents live two hours away from us in either direction, However, another thing we agreed on was we would learn our baby's gender first and do the reveal for both families so no set of grandparents were told ahead of time, so everything was fair. Ever since we told this to his mom, she has been nothing but overly excited and bombarding me with letters about pregnancy, babies, and she even asked me if she could come to my first sonogram. And ladies, we know how the first one is. This is the first grandchild, so I understood. Still, It was still a lot. We told her no. His mom immediately volunteered to set everything up when I told her that I wanted to start a baby shower and to set up for everything. I agreed as far as the baby shower since she loved setting up parties and me and my parents were more introverted. But the issue came to the gender reveal when I told her that me and my boy what we had officially agreed on. I waited for the men to walk away before approaching her again to tell her no for the gender reveal. She begged and even said, please, I promise I won't tell anyone. I certainly told her no again and thought it was settled. It wasn't. Sometime later, I came home after my girl's day out, come home and my boyfriend telling me, hey, mom called and I let her know the gender so everything should be okay for the baby shower. I was furious. I felt my stomach drop. My boyfriend explained that his mom called me, called him earlier that day and said that her and I talked and said that it was okay for her to know so she was planning everything. Needless to say, my boyfriend and I got into a huge argument and he was defending his mom and that everything would be okay. He called me selfish and that it was his mom's first grandchild, so maybe she was just excited and forgot. I did reach out to his mom that evening by text, and yes, I was polite, though every part of me wanted to scream. I had confronted her asking her why she would do something like that after I told her no multiple times. Her response was, sorry for miscommunications, but I won't tell anyone. I did question on how it was miscommunication when I was very clear, I told you no. I took away her permission to plan the baby shower, which my boyfriend later stated was cruel of me just because she made a mistake I shouldn't punish her. Punishment or consequences of crossing boundaries? Am I the asshole? No, she told her straight out no, and then she straight lied, straight lied to her son saying that his wife or fiance had told him that it was okay for him to tell her what the baby's gender was so she could plan accordingly under that guise of a, a reasoned excuse. I feel like if you have to say, oh, she told me it was okay for you to tell me, why wouldn't you just tell you directly? Right, exactly. It made me a little mad when I first read this. And I was just like, listen, these, this, is, this is what it was. I'm very, like, this is what it is. I told you no, that's it. There was no miscommunication. No is no. This isn't a tentative maybe and I'll get you back later. This was a no. My other thing is that the husband knew it was a no and knew the whole plan from the beginning. So she had to have buttered him up or something. She had been working on him from the background and he was slowly thinking about caving. He had to have had a message once or twice that had been like, maybe I'll talk to her about it to see what he can do, just to shut his mom up, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which would only encourage her, enable her more to start pressing, which would have made him feel more cornered because of his mom and what him and his girl had planned for their baby. See, the thing is too, him saying this is her first grandchild, like it's not the female's parents' first grandchild, too. Right! Like, this is a first for everyone, which is why you guys agreed in the beginning that you would tell them the gender at the same time. Exactly. And who's to say that this mom, who's this Nana, who's been clearly all hella overly excited, if it's enough that, like, she can't wait nine months? She can't keep it a secret. She's gonna be telling her, she's gonna be telling her sewing circle, her reading, her book club. Anybody who isn't who wasn't friends with her her her, her daughter, future daughter-in-law's peoples, she's gonna tell on Facebook. She's gonna put it everywhere that she can, as long as the other side doesn't find out. Especially she's so excited. I know motherfuckers like that. Especially since she needed to try so hard to dupe her own son to tell. I don't know how much of a dupe it is. I mean, I don't know her man like she would know her man, but if you knew that he may or may not be reliable in upholding your stance... You thought you'd cave, yeah. I wouldn't have told him either. Be like, you're a liability. 
Well, that's the you point. Don't get to come to the but, like, but you see, that that's the point, though. In order for her to have told him, he must be able to be trusted, which means that he, you know, he she did dupe him in telling him that his fiance gave the okay to tell me, even though he should have thought to himself, like you said earlier, right. why he didn't just, she just tell you then if she gave right. permission? Why do you have to right. go through so me to get the information? So he definitely, he definitely got, he definitely got duped. Or he's a mama's boy. Well, here's I'm leaning towards the second because it sounds, and I may have it mistaken, but it sounded like he was there for at least one of the no's to her face. Right, like it was a clear discussion between the two, and she clearly hadn't changed his stance about it. And I'm pretty sure she would have complained to him about his mother's actions. Your mom is still hounding me about this. Blah. And he was like, yeah, she sent me a couple messages today about it. We're still not going to tell her, right? Like, there, that, that would have been a conversation. Yes, that would have been a conversation. No with how often that Nana was harassing them about, like, needing to have, needing to know what the baby was going to be, that this wasn't a conversation, at least more than once or twice, and the stance had always been reaffirmed every time. I will tell you this, though. Most men however in those types of situations don't tend to pay attention to quarrels that have to do with the female persuasion because it's not up their alley they're not interested like they should be and i i can easily see him sit there and what what, what i'm sitting there saying is i can see him easily thinking that since mom told me that it's okay for me to tell her then she must have caved he said oh you know what like fine and, and then so he did the same or he you know he just thought she caved like he would cave but the thing is if she did cave why wouldn't she have told her herself why did she have to go through another person like oh she said that he said it's okay that ties into him not thinking that in the first place with okay why didn't she just tell you then why couldn't he just send a text message to double check Right, at the very least, be like. Not in a state where like you need to send a letter by via Pony Express to get to the nail spot. They discussed it though. You were having a oh, child yeah. together, they and they made a plan. It'd be something he'd know not know to avoid the subject up. So if anybody was to mention it, red flag should have been warning but, off in his head. But that's the thing. Like, it's like he is disconnected enough where he hasn't talked to her about it for him to sit there and automatically just say okay well i guess she says okay to say so i'm gonna say if the whole plan yeah like that conversation that they had they absolutely had that conversation about oh yeah don't tell your mother but then he wasn't involved anymore after that therefore he wasn't up to date with if you were how told many once, times her his mother actually approached her about it you know if I mean? you were told once that I don't want to tell anyone ahead of time. I want them to both find out at the same time. It's going to be a surprise. She had to have been harassing her own son about it, so he was definitely getting it from both ends. That's what I mean. Like, there's no point. If he knew at least at one point that it was supposed to be a surprise, I feel like you need to double check. That last I checked, you weren't supposed to know ahead of time, so let me just make sure. Let me get that message for myself. This is crediting him to be an attentive partner, which does not necessarily mean you're that he really, is. Really trying to play devil's advocate You do but remember what my answer was about the question about whether or not she was the asshole or not. I disagree. I don't think she was. I'm just sitting there saying that it's very possible that as the as the guy who obviously how many guys are you gonna really know are gonna be interested in in baby showers and uh, ultrasounds and things like that on the regular? Not many. So I assume. So I assume. The first one, yes. Everyone, every other ultrasound afterwards. Well, that's what. Well, that's what I'm saying. That ties into them having had this conversation. Okay, don't tell your mother. But you know, he could have been done with the involvement of everything uh, gynecological going forward until the baby was there. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's all I'm saying. Is like I still think that he shouldn't have told her. You know, he should have absolutely sat there and said, "Well, then." Why didn't she tell you if it was okay? And I'm not, I'm not going to get in the middle of this because, you know, I have to be married to her and live with her. You don't. So I'm not going to say shit to get myself in trouble. He didn't do any of that. So you're giving him the credit of having common sense to be, you know, an attentive partner. And I don't think he was. Clearly, what he did shows that he wasn't. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I think, I think, I, yeah, I think it's definitely he was getting it from both ends. And it was just like, I, I just don't want to deal with this anymore. Because you know that Nana was hammering him hard for that, and you know his wife was like, "Oh my God, did your mother stop?" Yeah, I, be- I believe she was buttering him up. There, there, there's no way that you know she didn't. I feel like that's the point where you say, like, listen, if you want to deal with any of that, you go to her, not me. I'm stepping out. You know, I'm stepping away from this. 
But that, like, it also sits there and gives her the whole, like, that one up sits there. And, like, if they do the gender reveal after the baby shower, if she gives gifts of a very specific color, it tells everyone else what the baby is before the gender reveal. Yeah, because, like, now she can go in there and give boy clothes, you know? Right, exactly. And then you, and she's like, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> Fucking slap, you know? <laughs> so my um, story to close this up, an interesting headline I came across, and it was a huge asteroid is about to fly past Earth, and if you caught it, you'd be $4.7 billion richer. Holy shit. An asteroid of over a thousand feet is passing by Earth this weekend, and while it's not expected to hit us, it is estimated to be worth nearly $5 billion. The asteroid is 4660 Nereus. It was discovered in 1982 and is classified as a potential hazardous asteroid, quote unquote, by NASA due to its size and how close it approaches Earth. Now, at approximately 1,083 feet, it is 20 feet taller than the Eiffel Tower. Fuck. There are less than 10,000 near-Earth objects about that same size or even bigger than Nereus, according to NASA. EarthSky, the site that reports asteroids and other celestial bodies, has said that the current asteroid is traveling through space at around 14,719 miles per hour, orbiting the sun every 664 days, and about once every decade, it gets relatively close to us. However, the asteroid will come the closest it has ever been to Earth since its discovery. On Saturday, it will be around 2.4 million miles away from us, the closest it is projected to be until at least 2060, when it will only be 744,576 miles away from us, according to NASA. Some people might wish that it got a little closer because Asterank, which is a database that monitors more than 600,000 asteroids, says that Nereus is valued around 4.71 billion. Its value is so high only because it is packed full of nickel, iron, and cobalt. Now, to reference the dollar valuation for a scale, only the Dallas Cowboys, the New York Yankees, and the New York Knicks are valued to be more than this asteroid, according to Forbes. That's hilarious. So while that may seem like a whole bunch of money to pocket, there are actually asteroids worth a lot more than Nereus. Back in October of 2020, a group of researchers said that asteroid 16 Psyche was estimated to be worth 10,000 quadrillion. That's 15 more zeros, worth more than the entire economy of the Earth. Now, Nereus is going to be one of several asteroids to zoom past us in the coming weeks. The asteroid 1994 PC-1, estimated to be at least 3,600 feet and bigger than any building in the world, will come within 1.2 miles of Earth come January 18th. Fuck out of here. You said 1.2 million miles away from us come, Jan- okay. come January 18th. Shit. That's still, like, I, just, that's, I feel like that's still just giving us a little too close to the head. I don't like... Motherfuckers can say the shit in the millions and not like quadrillion. To piggyback off of what Feline mentioned earlier, that you know you would hope that NASA has plans for any asteroid that gets dangerously close to us, because it seems like every asteroid I've ever heard about passing by us—that's fucking football fields huge and buildings huge. Sometimes relatively close, sometimes a little bit far, but they always come back around. Yeah, it's 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 terrifying. And I feel like always the response we hear is like, yeah, we're just kind of watching it get close and we're not doing anything about it. We're just really, really hoping it doesn't hit us. That's all we, and that's good saying that it's all we can do right now. If I'm going to quote some things from the movie Armageddon, Billy Bob Thornton's character, who was the director of the space program or of NASA at that point, had mentioned that, well, he was asked that very same question. It's like, why didn't you guys like blow it out of the sky you know, or notice it when it was however many miles away? And it's like, well, our budget allows us to cover about 5% of the sky. And begging your pardon, sir, it's a pretty big-ass sky. Fucking kidding, dude. Listen here. Right. Of all the things we're fucking funding, I think our survival of our entire species should be at the top of the list. We should at least get up to 6% instead of putting a lion on a treadmill for like 100 or 400 grand. I think we need to get rid of a lot of the, the uh, budget for military. That's what I was going to say. Like, we, Do you know how much we like spend on the military in non-war times? Right. I'm not saying let our shit fall apart because, you know, God forbid anything happened. But we could, you know, spend a little less while we're not firing those guns, while that ammo's not being spent. Exactly. And I think making sure that we can not get dinosaur is a high priority. Dinosaur, I love it. 
like I think we need something stronger than just manifesting and hoping and really, really wishing that we don't get crushed. We need something more than that. We need to be able to not implode as well as worry about shit that's going to explode us from outside. Yeah. I want to give the benefit of the doubt that NASA actually does have something like contingency plans in place to be able to blow an asteroid's trajectory just off slightly if it were to impact us. I'm assuming that they are actually watching these bodies pass by us and not be caught with their pants down per se where oh shit where did that one come from you know what i mean but like that's the thing they don't say anything could y'all at least tell us yeah but you see that's the thing that that goes back to the old mentality of the government that still exists today where we don't want to sit there and say anything that's going to incite a panic i mean if you think about it people during snowstorms or impending tornadoes rush to you know like supermarkets and clear the shelves full of a bunch of shit to get ready to buckle down now imagine how exponentially magnified that would be if we're talking about oh well, there's an asteroid coming they are telling us that though they're telling us that right now that story told us that that's fine and you know what they said we're just watching it yeah because the reason <laughs> we don't why have a plan, guys. Yeah, but they're thing. just looking no at no it. but here's the thing the reason why they told you is because they knew it wasn't gonna you know gonna hit us it's just passing by so that's easy to say while getting you kind of have your ears perked up that wait a minute something that okay, big is like, passing by but at least how many times do we us. just watch it pass by and we're just like guys okay it's skimming us according <laughs> to this particular article it makes it sound like the first time since 1984 or 86 whichever year it was i said i don't know i feel like there was something a couple years ago like less than 10 years ago where we heard a story about another asteroid probably not as close but another sure? asteroid that was yeah, but they break apart, whereas this thing is going to take a little while to break apart when it enters and hits us, you know what I mean? Yeah, I was I'm pretty sure it was another celestial body. And they mentioned again how we were just kind of watching it. Like, we're just observing it. It shouldn't hit us, but we're watching it. Well, that's the thing, though. It, that when they say something like that, they're working with however many millions of miles in between the possibility of hitting us versus not. But, like, compared to the next planet... If it's closer than that, that's still, you know, concerning. Anything that gets a little too close. I know we're talking about huge margins, but it makes you uncomfortable. Of course. Because when, again, when you think about how far away the next planet is, unless it's that far, you know? Yeah, but if you think about it though, positive is that even though big ass bodies like this are passing by us, they aren't necessarily hitting other neighboring planets, which means that their assumption that it's not going to hit us, you know, is pretty solid, at least more than just, oh, you know, we, it's probably not going to hit us. You mean, because if it didn't, if it was probably not going to hit us and it came by a little too close than we wanted to, and then it hit a neighboring planet in our solar system, that's another thing. You know what I mean? Because it would have impacted something. See, I don't know off the top of my head how fucking far or close the moon is from us. But my idea is like, okay, most of the time when we hear these types of stories, it's not like the shit's really, really close to the Earth. But the moon is a little far out from us. Not super far, but a little. And the moon is responsible for a lot of our tides and, you know, maintaining the way we currently know our planet to work. If something hit the moon, we would be kind of fucked if it took it out of orbit or damaged it, you know? And with that, we will end tonight's episode. I am Spade. I'm Feline. I'm Al. See you next week, everybody.